You probably saw it on the news this week. If you didn't, your head is in the sand. But the Democratic uh, Party, the Democrats, elected a transgender candidate this week uh, as their candidate for governor of the state of Vermont. Uh, what's interesting about this particular candidate is that he hates Christians. He thinks that we're really sick people. Now, I think it's a she, uh, it's a he dressing up as a she, but I would, you know, pose the question, I mean, can you imagine if Roy put on a wig and a dress and pantyhose and lipstick and high heels and he walked into this room and he looked at all of us and he said, you guys are sick. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a story that uh, Vance Habner used to tell about the lady that uh, went to the psychiatrist's office and she had a strip of bacon on one ear and a strip of bacon on the other ear and a fried egg on top of her head. And she said, I'm here to see you about my brother. <laughs> well, yeah, this guy is the one who's sick. He, he also says that Christians, he tweets that Christians are worse than the Taliban. Well, I've got, what he needs to do, he needs to do what that little couple did that went to the Taliban because they said there's no such thing as evil, it's just in your imagination. And they went to the Taliban and the Taliban killed them. I mean, I'm not making light of all of this, but it just shows you how People have lost their grounding. They have no foundations to stand on. And the foundations of our society are crumbling around us as I speak. And so what do we do? I mean, when you see all of these crazy things happening in the world, what do we do? Well, David asked that same question over in Psalms chapter 11. He said, when the foundations are destroyed, what do the righteous do? I mean, when everything's crumbling around us and everything's falling apart around us, what do the righteous do? What do the people of God do? And we're going to try to answer that question today as we, as we look at this little text in, in Genesis today. I, somebody texted me last week and, and said, you know, at the rate you're going, I've calculated it. You covered one verse last week. Uh, it will take us 29 and a half years to cover Genesis. Well, I've got to tell you, he was being optimistic <laughs> because we're only going to cover a gap between verse 1 and verse 2 today, so it might take longer than 29 and a half years. Actually, we're going to speed it up somewhere along the way, but we are going to spend some time on these foundational truths because they're so important. The foundational truths in Genesis are the truths on which all the truths in the Bible stand on. It's the truths on which the Word of God stands on. And they're so important. If you can't believe these truths in Genesis, if you can't understand these truths in Genesis, and I don't know you'll ever understand them fully, but if you can't by faith uh, believe these truths, hey, you're, you're not going to have a true faith in, in Jesus Christ because all of it is based upon what we're getting here in the book of Genesis because it's in the book of Genesis that we see the origin of creation. We see the origin of the human race. Uh, we see the origin of sin. We see the origin of faith. We see the origin of languages and nations. We see the origin of the nation of Israel and their importance because that's the nation through which the Messiah is going to come. And if you don't believe all of these things, 
then you have no foundation. And so we want to firm up that belief. And, and you would expect, if, if these are the foundational truths in the Bible, then you would expect what book would the devil attack the most? He would attack the foundations. If you want to bring a building down, attack the foundations. And so he has, throughout the centuries, attacked the book of Genesis because he knows if these you know, if he discredits these foundational truths in the minds of the people, then the rest of the Bible is going to come tumbling down too. And the Bible in our society becomes nothing more than an than a, a antique relic that really has no meaning. And that's really what it's become to, the, to, to our society, to the world, basically. And here's the problem. Many church members are not grounded in these foundational truths. And, and, and so their foundations are being destroyed. And, and when you see the Bible as nothing more than a moral code or a book of myths and legends, then you have no foundations. You have nothing to stand on. You don't have a real faith. And when the storms come and the winds blow, your, your, your life's going to come tumbling down. So, uh, uh, Genesis is a really important book. Uh, last week, we looked at that first statement there, we, we look at, which I call the most profound, comprehensive, scientific statement that has ever been made. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created out of nothing. That's what that word means, bara. God created the heavens and the earth. So if Genesis is the book of, of foundational truths, then Genesis 1.1 is the verse on which all those foundational truths stand. So if you can't believe Genesis 1.1, all the rest of those truths are going to come down, uh, uh, your foundations are going to come down around you and you're going to have nothing to stand on. Now, if Genesis 1.1 is the, state, uh, the statement on which all the other foundational truths stand on, then what do you think the devil's going to try to do to Genesis 1-1? He's going to try to destroy that statement. He's going to try to discredit that statement. And so the attack on Genesis 1-1 is vicious. I mean, it is vicious. And the purpose of that attack is to silence everyone who believes that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. They don't want to debate it. Uh, they don't, they, they don't want to uh, debate its validity. Uh, they want to shout it down as some ridiculous folklore. That's what the way most of the world sees this statement. But that's how the godless left attacks everything. That's the way they attack everything. They if they disagree with you, they won't debate you in an intelligent debate. They will shout you down, and then they will attack you as a person. And we see that going on now uh, through, the, through, through what's happening uh, in the political scene and what's happening in the, in, in the church today. This past spring, uh, most of you are familiar with Ken Ham. Ken Ham is the president of, of uh, Answers in Genesis. What, what is, is that right? Yeah, Answers in Genesis, and, and uh, he's the one who built the ark up there. He didn't really build the ark. I mean, he's not, no, I'm not saying that. But he built the replica of the ark up in Kentucky, and he built the Creation Museum. And he was scheduled to speak at the University of Central Oklahoma. 
and they canceled the event because they got inundated with calls uh, putting him down, and these calls came from the LGB community, and so they canceled the event. Uh, it was scheduled to be held. It was, a, it was scheduled for a standing room only crowd. It was going to be held in the university's constitutional hall. Isn't that ironic? I think our Constitution says something about free speech. The, the First Amendment says that, uh, something about free speech, and yet in the constitutional hall, there was no free speech being said that night when he was supposed to speak. And here's the question I've got to ask. Now, you stop and think about this. And I'm not picking on homosexuals here today. If you're a homosexual, I'm not picking on you. I don't think anybody in here is, but if you are, I'm not picking on you. But the question I've got to ask is, what concern does the LGBT community have with someone teaching about Genesis 1-1? Why does that bother them so much? Well, let me tell you why it bothers them so much the same way it bothers a lot of people so much. Because if you believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then you believe that there is a God and you are responsible to that God. And if Genesis 1-1 is true, then Genesis 1-2 is true and so on and so on and so on. And that means that Leviticus 18-22 is true, which says a man shall not lie as with a male as with a woman it is an abomination to the Lord. Let me tell you what, it is still an abomination to the, to the Lord. Just like adultery and lying is an abomination to the Lord. None of these things, what society is starting, beginning to accept, change how God sees those things just because society accepts them. What's an abomination to the Lord in the beginning has always been an abomination to the Lord and always will be an abomination to the Lord, and God will judge sin. Now, they shut down Ken Ham, but let me tell you what, you will never shut down the Word of God. The Word of God endureth forever, so, so don't worry about the Word of God. But here's the sad thing to me, the really sad thing. It's not just the left that goes after Genesis 1-1 and tries to undermine it, many Christian theologians have done the same thing. They have embraced various Christian, uh, various creation theologies that deny the truth of the first chapter of Genesis, this literal uh, Genesis account of creation. And let me tell you why they've done this. They've done this because they're afraid of the scientific uh, world. They, they want to accommodate modern science. And especially, specifically, they want to accommodate evolutionary biology and what we call uniformitarian geology. And what you know, all of you went to school, and most of you in here have gone to school, and you know what evolutionary bi biology is. It says that we everything and everyone has evolved over time from almost nothing. And, and, and that's what it teaches. And in order for that to work, evolution has to have, it, it can't work in infinity. But for, it, for them to be able to convince a naive mind that it will work, it has to have millions and millions of years and billions and billions of years. And that's where the uniformitarian geology comes in, where geologists say that these rock layers of strata uh, were laid upon the earth uniformly over long, long periods of time 
uh, millions and millions of years. And that's supposedly what we see in the strata of the earth. Now, so theologians, in order to reconcile a very old age of the earth with the Genesis account of creation, have concocted some cre uh, creation theories of their own. And you can head these, all of these theories into two main headings. There, there's the gap theory, and there is the day-age theory. Have you heard of those theories? Well, if, if you hadn't heard of them, they, they won't call them like that. But you'll hear some pastor, you'll hear some pastor talking about millions and millions of years. And they, if you go ask them, where do you get the millions and millions of years, they will uh, uh, tell you something about either the gap theory or the day-age theory or some form of one of those two theories. Now, I wouldn't even waste your time on these two theories, but for the fact that pretty much uh, all of Christianity has adopted these theories as truth, and that really bothers me. It's become mainstream doctrine. Even in evangelical denominations, it's become mainstream doctrine. Last century, the, the renowned theologian Bernard Ram. If you, if you ever go to seminary, you'll learn about Bernard Ram. But listen to what he says about the gap theory. He says, the gap theory has become the standard of interpreting the creation throughout orthodoxy. And I'm going to tell you what the gap theory is here in just a minute. And, and you're going to hear the gap theory and the day-age theory taught in seminaries as fact, one or the other, depending upon the seminary, depending upon the Professor, but here's again what really bothers me. There's really, there's many predominant, uh, prominent rather, uh, evangelical pastors who have adopted one or other of these theories to accommodate these millions and millions of years. Two of the most well-known, and I'm not going to name names today, but two of the most well-known Cal Calvary Chapel pastors, well-known Calvary Chapel pastors have uh, have adopted the, the uh, gap theory, and they believe in the gap theory. I'm not going to name their names. I want to name their names, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, then there's the Schofield Bible. I mean, I remember these guys are so proud of these Bibles, as big as Sears and Roebuck catalog, you know, these Schofield Bibles. The, Schof the original Schofield Bible, uh, in its notes, uh, uh, had uh, promoted the gap theory as the right theory of creation. And so a lot of evangelicals that, you know, that really swear by the Schofield believed in the gap theory. Why? I mean, why would we believe that when it seems to me, when I read my Bible, that it says that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. That's what we're going to see as we move on in Genesis. And I believe that. I believe that's a literal account of creation. So why do so many people believe that in Christendom, and especially in evangelical circles. Well, Tom, Tom MacGyver puts it like this. In, in, in an article he wrote in the Creation Evolutionary Evolution Journal, listen to what he said. He says, the reason the gap and day-age theories have become so popular is that it takes an extremely stubborn faith. That's what I have. I'm going to have an extremely stubborn faith. You know what extremely stubborn faith is? That's a Christian faith. That's a dogmatic faith. 
That's a faith that believes every word of this Bible. That's what he's talking about. But he goes on, he says, it takes an extremely stubborn faith to maintain belief in a strict young earth creation in the face of the overwhelming, listen to what he says, and he, this is true if you listen to the scientists, the overwhelming and still increasing scientific evidence for a great age of the earth, an earth that is millions and millions of years old. Now, the gap theory was invented by a man named Thomas Chalmers, who was uh, a renowned uh, divinity professor at uh, the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. And uh, he was the one who's credited for uh, starting the Free Church of Scotland. So it's a pretty, he's a pretty important uh, Christian in, in, in Christian history. And he, this is what he said about the theory that he came up with. He says, the gap theory gives geology its millions of years without infringing on the literalities of the mosaic record. And, and, and that goes, he would say, that goes for the day-age theory as well. So what are these theories? And, I'm, and hopefully I'm not going to lose you here because I think this is really important. Because again, I think most Christians today believe in either the gap theory or the day-age theory for creation because they want to reconcile these millions and millions of years with the Genesis account. So what is the gap theory? Well, go to your Bibles. Look at Genesis 1.1, and this is what the gap theory says. In the beginning, they believe this, God created the heavens and the earth, but he didn't really get it right. He didn't get it quite right. So in between verse 1 and verse 2, there is a gap. Look at verse 2. The earth was without form and void. Now, how did it come without form and void? So what the gap theorists believe is that when you come to verse 2, the earth is millions and millions of years old, that there's this gap that took place. And during this gap, there was life on earth, and that's the age in which you had the dinosaurs and some other creatures that we don't see now. And there had to be death because you have the fossil record of all these creatures, and so you've got all of these dead beings in, in the strata. And then... Uh, you had this millions and millions of years of, of uh, life on earth, and then at the end, towards the end of creation, Satan fell. And, and you do have some records uh, in the Bible of Satan falling. The question is, when did Satan fall? The gap theorists believe that he fell sometimes after this primitive creation. You have this first creation called the primitive creation. That's what the Schofield Bible calls it. And then you have this gap, and then you have the really good creation, the second creation. Okay, and, and so Satan fell, and when Satan fell, God pronounced judgment on the earth, and he destroyed all life on earth. And then when you get to Genesis 2, it was without form, it was out, without void, and then the earth was recreated. And that's what you get in the rest of the Genesis account. Now that's the, that's the gap theory. Everybody understand that? Well, if you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, just believe what you read right here. I don't want to lose you here. All right, now, then the second theory is the day-age theory. Now, the day-age theorists look at the Bible, and they say there's no way there's a gap here. If there's a gap here, surely God would have said something about the gap. Well, hello, I agree with that 100%. Uh, so... so but they still got to do something with the millions and millions of years. 
And so what they propose is that each day that is mentioned here in the creation as we go through the creation account, each day of creation is a long period of time. And, and it all hinges on the meaning of the word day. That's the Hebrew word yom. And normally it means a 24-hour day. But there are some exceptions. We know one main exception. What is that? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not a 24-hour day. And so what they believe is that each one of these days represents long, long periods of time that make up these millions and millions of years. And so that's called the day-age theory. Now, there are some serious problems theologically, and that's what we want to look at here, with both of these theories, some real serious problems. And what I want to do is look at each theory, the problem with each theory, and then look at the problem with the millions and millions of years and what we do with those millions and millions of years. And so hopefully, you know, you've got something to, more to stand on when you believe this Genesis account, uh, just as it's given to us. All right, well, first of all, the gap theory. What's wrong with the gap theory? Stop and think about that. If God created the heavens and the earth, and he, and he, and he really didn't quite know what he was doing at this point, so, so you know, he didn't do it perfectly. And then he created the dinosaurs. He created all of these things that we see in the fossil record, all of these beings. And, and uh, uh, then Satan fell, and there was this judgment on the earth uh, as gr great or greater than the flood because supposedly it destroyed the whole earth. I would think somewhere in the Bible that destruction of the earth would be recorded. And the Bible is silent on that. And so that right away tells me I don't believe it's there. The second thing that I look at when I look at the text is, and, and that shows me that the gap theory is not true, is nowhere in Genesis does it speak of recreation. There's no such thing as recreation. The creation is clearly spoken of in the book of Genesis as an original event. I mean, if it was a recreation, then somewhere it would say something about different from Bara, Bara means to create, create out of nothing. God created all of this out of nothing. And that's hard for people to believe. How can anyone create something out of nothing? Few people believe that. But it's so critical to your faith. Don't you see that? The God you worship, what kind of God do you worship? You want to worship a God who's trying to figure things out? Or do you want to worship a God who has always known everything? I'm, I'm taking the God that's always known everything. I'm taking the God of grace who's always known what a sinner I was going to be, but always had me written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. That's the perfect God who's created an imperfect being who one day will be perfect. And so there is that, that I am evolving in some sense, but not from one kind to another. And I'm not being, and I will be recreated in a sense. And the earth and the heavens will be recreated in a sense. But God records all of that. And so if there's some kind of recreation here that took place, I think it would say that. The, the, the new earth. The new, we talk about the new heavens and the new earth. But that's the second heavens and the second earth. That's not what we see here in the Genesis account. All right, let me tell you something else. The other problem that I see with this gap theory. If, you, if you've got the King James the, the sentence there begins with a conjunction and. That's a little Hebrew word, wa. And, and, and so 
when you see that, what's a conjunction do? It ties things together. So that conjunction is very important. I think maybe that's why it might not appear in some of the versions because they want to take that out. But, but that, that conjunction ought to be there because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth, see how much more sense that makes? And the earth was without form and, with, was without form and void. See, so these things are tied together. I mean, look throughout the Genesis account. You see, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And that then is the, is, is, is the same Hebrew word, it's the wah. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. See how all of that's tied together with those conjunctions. Well, if that conjunction's not there, then it might make sense that there was a gap there. But that conjunction is there. And all of this creation account is tied together by those conjunctions. All right, the other problem that I have with the gap theory is if God had destroyed the earth when Satan fell, he wouldn't have said it was without form and void. He would have said something like it was ruined and desolate. That's not what he says. When he says it's without form and, and void, he's speaking of the earth being like a piece of clay in the potter's hand. When God created the heaven and earth, let me tell you what, God create, could create this universe just like it is right now by his word if he wanted to. But he does this to, to, to set a pattern to show us, to, to humanize the creation and to also set a pattern for the Sabbath. I'm thinking for the millennial. He, he's doing all of this as a pattern. But, but uh, God, uh, God if, if God had, if Satan had failed, and God had destroyed this earth, it would have been, it would have been, he would have spoken of this as being ruined and desolate, not a piece of clay that he's about to form. All right, so I'll just rule out the day-age theory. Well, what about, I mean, the gap theory. So what about the day-age theory? Well, the problem with the day-age theory centers all around the meaning of the word day. That's, that's what it centers around. I mean, the day-age theorists believe that a day is like a million years. It's millions and millions of years. Kind of reminds me of Bill Clinton during the Mono Lewinsky affair when uh, he said, it depends on the meaning of what the word is, is. Well, Bill, I got news for you. The meaning of the word is, is. That's what the meaning of the word is. The, the Hebrew word yom almost always means a 24-hour day. Sometimes it doesn't. There are those exceptions, but there, you can't take something out of context. Context is king. And, and I, just to make sure we didn't mess this up, Moses tells us in verse number 5, look at verse number 5, the last part of that verse. He says, so the evening and the morning were the first day. What's he speaking of there? Is he speaking of millions and millions of years? No, he's speaking of a 24-hour day. Now, here's the, the censure here. If you'll follow me over to the, to the law in Exodus and look at chapter 20, where you get the Ten Commandments. All of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments. And I want you to look at this. And how do we interpret a word? We interpret it, I'll tell you, the best way to interpret a, a, a Hebrew word or a Greek word 
is in its context. Always use its context. If it's being used in a context and that context changes, the word of God will be real clear to tell you the context has changed. And this has become symbolic or it's become allegorical. The word of God will speak of that. But, but it, in its context, we interpret it. So if you go to chapter 20 of Exodus and look down at verse number 8. And all of you are familiar with this. But look down at verse number 8 of Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day. What day is he talking about? Millions and millions of years? I don't think so. He's talking about a 24-hour day, isn't he? He says to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. Now, sometimes it seems like we're laboring millions and millions of years. But, but you're only supposed to labor six days. Is he talking about millions and millions of years there? Six millions and millions of years? No, he's talking about six 24-hour days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, uh, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gate. For, watch this, in six days, context says, what are those days? They're 24-hour days. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea. He's saying in the same week, time it takes you to have your work week and your Sabbath, I created the heavens and the earth. That's what he's saying there. He says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day, 24-hour day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, uh, and hallowed it. All right, now, unless you just blow away all rule of hermeneutics, hermeneutics, then this is obviously what we're looking at going back now to Genesis 1. We are obviously looking at a 24-hour day. So I can't buy into either of these theories. And I'm not going to change what the Bible says in order to accommodate the millions and millions of years that we're being taught in our science classes today or we're, we're being, I say, brainwashed with. Uh, because people don't want to believe in a young earth. Uh, first of all, if the earth is, is 10,000 years or 6,000 years, that's, that's pretty old to me. But, but they got to have the millions and millions of years in order to make evolution work. And there's plenty, let me tell you what, if, if you don't believe this, I'm not, this, is, this isn't a science class, I'm approaching this theologically. But if, if you want to check it out, just just get on the internet and look for some evidences of a young earth. And there are a lot of, a lot of things in science, scientific facts, that prove that there's a young earth. Now, somebody could throw some out that would question a young earth. I agree with that, too. But there are pl you don't have to check out your brains when you believe in a young earth. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of evidence out there for a young earth. And you'll, you can do that research on your own. I've already done that on my own. All right, now, so what do we do with these millions and millions of years that supposedly are in these fossil layers uh, in the Earth's strata? Uh, well, I don't believe, as I said before, I don't believe in the millions and millions of years. And here's the problem with uniformitarian geology. This is the big problem. I'm going to tell you what it is. They do not believe in Noah's flood. 
Well, we're going to look at in chapter 7. We're going to look at in detail when we get to chapter 7. That'll take another five years or so. But when we, we get to chapter 7, we will look at the flood. Because I want you to understand the flood and, 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 and what it all means. We won't take five years. I'm joking. But, but uh, it'll take a while. But we, uh, when we get to Genesis 7, we'll look at that. But if you look at, if, you, if it's common sense, and you have a global flood, now it would take a global flood to do this, but this global flood, and, and I believe that the earth was, was, we'll see this next week, but the earth was in a canopy, and that waters in that canopy was released upon the earth, and the whole earth was flooded. And so you've got all of these layers of dirt and, and that, that is raised up by these waters, and then it settles in layers, in sediments. And so, and that happened very rapidly. And if you believe in a flood, that's real easy to see. If you don't believe in a flood, then, it, you know, it makes it impossible. You need the, you, you probably can uh, uh, believe in the millions and millions of years. But I don't believe in the millions and millions of years because I believe in the Genesis 1 account, and I believe that there was a global, global flood in Noah's day. Let me tell you what. You can say, well, I, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the global flood. Or I don't believe in the, you know, I still believe in millions and millions of years. I tell you what, you got some serious theological problems. I'm going to show you that in a minute. Uh, but what, uh, you know, it's almost as if God knew. Well, he did know. But he wanted us to know. He wanted even Peter to know that scoffers were going to come in the last days who deny the flood, who believe in this uniformitarian theology, and they're going to deny the flood and really deny the Genesis account. Uh, listen to what Peter says. Go with me I, over to Second Peter, chapter 3. We looked at this, I believe, last week, but let's look at it again because there's something here that we didn't address last week that I want you to see. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says this in verse number 3. 2 Peter, almost to the end of your Bible, all the way, almost all the way to Revelation, you'll find 2 Peter. And look in chapter number 3, and listen to what he says. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last day. I mean, Peter was a long ways from the last days, or really he was in the last days, but he was at the first part of the last days. He was a long ways from the very last days. You and I are living in the very last days. And he, he was warned that scoffers were going to come, and here's their problem. It's the same problem that the LGBT community had with Ken Ham. I've never heard Ken Ham say anything about homosexuality. I haven't. I'm sure he probably has, but I have never heard it. And I've read some of his books and stuff, and I hadn't seen anything about homosexuals. He talks about the Genesis creation account. But here's the problem, because they are walking according to their own lust, and the Bible interferes with our lust. If you really believe in the Word of God, then it's going to interfere with your life if you want to live a uh, godless life. And so you just throw out the Bible and you laugh at the Bible and you scoff at the Bible and you say the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament are different and everybody's going to heaven and you have it your way, but your way is not the right way. The only right way is God's way and it's recorded for us in his word. But scoff, people scoff at that. And 
you know, a uh, lot of people scoff at that. Outside this room, just about everybody scoffs at the idea that there was really uh, God created things in, se- in the heavens and the earth in seven days, and there was a, Noah really had a flood, and Jonah was really swallowed by the well. Well, what about the cross? Did Christ really die on the cross? I mean, when he died on the cross, did he really pay for all the sins of the world? To me, that's more amazing than the creation. Just to pay for all of my sins is more amazing than creation. But I better have a God that's that great if he's going to be able to pay for my sins. If he's going to be able to take my nature and change my nature by his word, I've got to have that kind of God. And so I don't scoff at this at all. He says, knowing this, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now watch this. This is really telling right here. Look at this next sentence. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things, this is the part I want you to see, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's uniformitarian whatever, and it certainly applies to geology, that God really doesn't have anything to do with this earth. All things just continue on as they've always continued on and nothing really changes. He says, for this, verse number 5, they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth, now, we're going to look at this next week, but this is a riddle right here, the earth standing out of water and in the water. We'll leave that for next week. He says, by which the world, now watch this, that then existed, perished, being flooded with the water. So see, they, why, why do they forget it? They willfully, how do they forget it? They willfully forget it. I mean, there is all sorts of evidence for a flood. If you go up on the top of a mountain and you find fossils of fish, you say the mountain's poked up out of the ground and out of, out of an old sea that used to be there. Or you can think there was a global flood and, and, and left those fish up on that mountain. And that's why we have those fossils on that mountain. But people willfully forget that there was a flood. Why do they willfully forget? willfully forget because they want to walk according to their own lust. So what I believe is that all these layers of strata uh, were not laid down millions and millions of years, over millions and millions of years. They were laid down over the 40 days of Noah's flood. If you don't want to believe that, you can say, hey, I can believe that. I'm, I'm not going to, uh, man, I... I I just believe there's millions and millions of years. Well, listen, theologically, you have a problem. You have a serious problem if you believe that. It, a problem that worries me about the church today because you can't, as I tell my wife all the time, and it's her birthday today, by the way, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And that's what she says every time I say that. She said, that's the stupidest thing in the world. I'm going to have cake, I'm going to eat it. But in this application, what I'm saying here, you can't believe that the Bible is true and believe in a creation time frame of millions and millions of years. You can't do it. You can't have your cake and eat it too. The Bible won't let you do that. We looked at one verse last week. Let me go back there, Mark chapter 10, verse 6. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. From the beginning of creation, 
When's the beginning of creation? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That seven-day week. Now, if it was millions and millions of years and there was a gap there, it wouldn't be from the, millions of, from, from the beginning of creation. From the beginning of creation, God made male and female. He made Adam and Eve. From the beginning of creation, they were made. And that means that Adam, if you look at the genealogies, and Adam's in those genealogies, that means that Adam was created around 6,000, 7,000 maybe, depends on how you calculate it, years ago at the very beginning of creation. And so if the creation is millions and millions of years old, and you believe that, let me tell you what you believe. You believe that Jesus was mistaken about what he said. That Mark's gospel was mistaken about what Jesus said. And if Mark's gospel was mistaken about what Jesus said, was it what else was he mistaken about? Was Jesus mistaken when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through the cross, through me, except by me. That's the only way you can come to heaven. Was he mistaken? That's what the evolutionists believe, the Christian evolutionists believe. That's why they say that all roads lead to heaven. These same people that, are, that are, uh, believe in some kind of uh, theistic evolution, they also believe they're universalists. They also believe that everyone's going to heaven. That's not in the Bible, but if you can pick and choose and change the Bible as you choose, then you can make it say anything you want. But, friends, the Word of God is the Word of God. And it is, it is given to us by God through man, by the Spirit of God. And it is the truth of God, and you can't change the truth of God. Paul says in Romans 5, chapter 12, he says that through one man, Adam, death, entered the world. So Adam had to be around before death started. Before there was any death of any being on earth, Adam had to be around. And if, if death was around millions and millions of years before Adam, then Paul was mistaken. And if what, and if what he says about Romans 5.12 is not true, then what else in his epistles aren't true? When he said the wages of sin is death. See, it's sin that brought death in the world. If, if he was mistaken about that, then that's not true. Because if death was already around before Adam came into the world, if Adam was just created from one death to another death to another death to another death, and death was around and all these dinosaurs were dying and everything was happening before Adam came into the world and there was death, then... When Adam sinned, he was going to die anyway. His wages of his sin wasn't death. Death was already there. But through one man, Adam, and, and through his sin, death entered the world. Now, you don't want to believe that because you want to believe in millions and millions of years. You're really messing with the whole word of God. You're messing with, again, maybe the greatest foundational truth there is in the word of God. In the beginning, when that six, seven days there, the six days of creation and the seventh day, seven, God created the heavens and he created the earth. And in that time period of seven days, he created Adam. And through Adam came death, through Adam came sin, and that's why Jesus Christ died on a cross. For I'll tell you what, if, if death was already there and, and Adam was going to die anyway, why the cross? 
We're all going to go to heaven anyway. Why the cross? I mean, God would be a fool or the cruelest being of all if he would put his son on a cross when it wasn't necessary. When I hear that from people that somehow, you know, there's other ways to heaven other than the cross, then why wouldn't God use those ways instead of the cross? He would have to be a cruel and, and, and ignorant and, and foolish person being in a, if he did something like that. And, and that's where, you know, I would go next with this. What does millions and millions of years of creation say about God? I mean, what it says to me is that he, if, if it took millions and millions of years, then he's capricious. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He's figuring things out as he goes. And he's cruel. Look at the fossil rust. Let me tell you what, those were judgment. And you could, I guess in some ways, God is just. The flood was a judgment on a, on a lost and dying world. But, but God is not cruel. And God is omniscient. And it didn't take him millions and millions of years. God, out of nothing, spoke in the beginning and he made all things that were made by his word and without him nothing was made that was made that brings us back to the question that David asked in Psalm 11 when the foundations are destroyed what do the righteous do great question and David gives an answer there. Here's his answer. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. That's the best answer you could possibly give him. When I see things crumbling around me, all over this world, I know that the Lord is in his holy temple. And that means that he is on his throne. And who is the Lord? The Lord is the God of this Bible, just the way we've been given this Bible. And he is the same today, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he doesn't change. And these foundational truths that we get in Genesis will never change because his word doesn't change. No matter how much they're attacked, his foundations will not be destroyed. They're going to stand. And we're going to be able to stand on those foundations. And if your foundations are in something else other than the truth of this word, I'm going to tell you right now, when the world crumbles around you, you're going to crumble with it. You're going down with it. You just wait and see. And I'm not hoping that for you. But if you don't believe this and you don't have anything to stand on, things are going to shake around you and you're going to come down. And the most foundational of all foundational truths is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. And as we'll see later on, and it was good. It was very good. 
When God creates something, it's very good. And if he can do that by his word, then he can save me by his word. I love that song, Down from Glory. The great creator became my savior. I believe that. It was the creator who died for me on the cross. And, the, and if he can save me by his word and create the universe by, this, by his word, then he can sanctify me by his word. And he can deliver me by his word from any difficulty I face in this world. And by his word, in the very near future, he'll deliver every single one of us who know him to glory. By his word. The only way you can trust that and believe in that is to choose to believe him and not this world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you're teaching us through your word. And Father, we're so grateful that we can trust you to be the person who you say you are in your word. Lord, trust you to be the omnipotent, the, the omniscient, the omnipresent God who can do anything he chooses to do and all you choose to do is good, Lord, because you are good. And we can trust that. And when we see things crumbling all around us, Lord, we can trust that what you've told us is true. And, Lord, that in the end that we will all be in your presence, in glory. And all of that, Lord, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the blood that he shed for us on the cross. We just thank you for our salvation. We thank you for our God. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.